Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and mini skirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. In this episode, we are covering some really helpful and tangible steps that you can be taking to improve your financial health for the long game. We are talking financial literacy, budgeting, saving, building wealth, healthy money mindset, and so many other things with Chloe. Uh, Chloe is a millennial money coach. I love that title. Um, And she's on a mission to show millennials that finances can be easy and fun. We even talk about uh, dreaming together with your partner if you're in a relationship and how you can make money conversations fun without being stressful. Yes, it is possible. Chloe helps our clients get ahead with money, pay off debt, and save for those big future investments. After paying off $36,000 of debt in less than 18 months herself and seeing how it transformed her life, she knew she had to help others achieve that same freedom. Her mission is to show you that finances can be easy and fun and that you are capable of creating wealth. So that's what we're talking about today. I am bringing a bunch of good questions to the table, a lot of questions you guys have asked me. And these are some questions and subjects that I love to talk about. I personally love talking about financial health and literacy because it's so foundational to so many of the other things we can do. If you want to start a business, you need to understand this. If you want to build a home, you need to understand this. If you are cultivating a life of purpose, being clear on your financial picture, understanding what your money is doing, and really getting a better handle on that whole area is so pivotal and so foundational to these other areas of life. I mean, this whole show is about helping you build your home and a business with purpose. That's all that I'm obsessed with doing. And I think money is a key that really bridges the gap between the two. Even if you're not an entrepreneur and into business, or even if you are totally into business, but not really into the home side of things and know you need to up your game on the personal side, or just feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the whole conversation of money, this is such a powerful subject to dive into. It is so empowering to become financially literate. It changed the game for me, for our family, for my business. And I know it can do the same for you. So I wanted to have a fun conversation with a friend of mine. So get comfy, (laughs) put on some comfy pants or do something that is going to bring you life and listen in as we talk about how to improve your financial health for the long game. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Chloe, welcome to She. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. This is actually a topic that we are asked about, I feel like, every day. And so I wanted to dive into it a lot more. Um, but first, before we dive into all things money and financial well-being and everything else, um, tell me a little bit of your story. Let's just get a little of your background. When did you first become interested in money management? And briefly, let's just go through your journey to um, what you, like what has led you to doing what you do now and how that's impacted even your personal journey with money. Yes, absolutely. So I was for sure the broke college girl. I was the broke high school girl. I always struggled with money. I didn't understand money. And especially in college, I was working multiple part-time jobs and had nothing to show for it. So I would pick up another part-time job and I would still have nothing to show for it. And I would pick up more hours and have nothing to show for it. And I finally hit this breaking point where I said, there has to be a better way, right? Mm -hmm. There has to be a better way than this cycle that I'm stuck in. And so I 
basically made had this epiphany and was like, I'm going to figure this out. And I went to the library in college and I started pulling off books from the finance section. And they were so boring, outdated literature written mostly by older men. Mm -hmm. And I didn't relate to it and I didn't understand it. So I, I kept trying to consume. I, I tried looking at podcasts and books and everything. And I, I finally found this online money coach certification. And I was like, you know what? I love learning. I'm just going to take this so I can learn financial literacy. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually the first little, you know, certification class I ever took, which at the time I, I didn't take to become a money coach. I took to learn. Mm -hmm. And um, so from, from that, from literature, from trial and error and all these different things, I finally started heading in the right direction and ended up paying off $36,000 of debt in 18 months. So a year out of college and it changed everything for me. And that was the first time when I realized how impactful financial literacy in itself is mm -hmm. and how you can, you don't have to be, I assumed for so long that I was going to be that broke girl forever. And so that was kind of the the point where I was like, oh my gosh, I can leave that identity behind and, and choose a different identity going forward. I love this. Honestly, I love that it's been born out of a desire to learn. And rather than just, a, I'm going to do this to, you know, teach everyone else, but through learning and through trial and error, through experience and through really investing in your own education and doing the work yourself. I think this is actually a really big just point I want to make. I love stories like this because I think so often we think, oh my gosh, I need to be like, in order to do anything, I need to be like the expert of all experts. And mm. when in reality, we need to either be able to get results for ourselves, right? And usually for others and, and know more than the person behind us. And so, yes, there are certainly areas in which we need specific training and credentials and, and certifications and all of that. But I just love that you were like, oh my gosh, I just got this massive result for myself by doing the work, by learning the things, and I'm going to turn around and help other people with that now. And I think that that's just a huge permission slip, I guess, to anyone who feels like, oh, but maybe I don't know enough yet, you know, or mm -hmm. oh, but, but if you've like done anything, it's worth paying attention to. So that's huge. Um, let's dive into a conversation about this though, because I think there are a lot of questions and I would love to just pick your brain on it, hear your insight and have a conversation about it. This is a topic I really love as well. So when talking about financial freedom and long-term financial health, sometimes the first place I think we need to start is in our brains and <laughs> with our minds. Yeah. I think a lot of people really struggle with negative mindsets around money um, and just having an unhealthy relationship with it. So I'm curious how you would um, speak into that. What, what does a healthy view of money look like and what steps can we take to build a positive mindset around finances? Oh, absolutely. I love this question. So what we believe to be true about money, aka our, our money beliefs and our money mindset, they're normally set in stone by the time we're eight years old. So that means, at least for me, I at eight, I was like running around, playing hide and go seek, watching That's So Raven. Mm -hmm. um, at that same time in our lives, we are simultaneously, subconsciously creating beliefs about money that could still be holding you back today. And the good news, right? The bad news is like, oops, we don't want those limiting beliefs that we created as an eight-year-old before our brain was developed fully to be ruling our lives today. But the good news is that we always have the capability to update and expand those beliefs about money. So step number one, obviously, is how do you identify what those beliefs are? Like, how do you know what your money beliefs are? How do you know where your money mindset is? And one of the easiest ways to do this is to think about how you talk about money. Um, you know, maybe you're saying things like, oh, I'm broke. I suck at finances. I'll never be debt free. Those are your beliefs about money mm -hmm. coming to the surface. Literally think of it like it's, you know, it's in your brain, it's coming to the surface, out your mouth, and you're, and you're speaking that into existence. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is, step two, basically, is to ask yourself, are these beliefs that I want to live by or do I want to update this? Because if you want to update it, you have to ask yourself, what would that new belief look like? So for example, if the thing you say all the time and, and that belief is I will never be debt free because when you were a kid, when you were eight years old, you heard your parents say that all the time. Well, mm -hmm. we're never going to, we're always going to have debt. We're always going to have debt. So as an eight year old, you thought, oh, that's the truth, right? We just always have debt. Mm -hmm. So as an adult, if you decide I don't want to hold on to that belief because I want the results of becoming debt free, then we can say, okay, I, I don't want the result or I don't want the belief that I'll never be debt free. 
the new belief that I want to have is that I am going to be debt free. And um, so then that leads us to step three, basically, which is what are the actions that follow this new belief? Because if I believe I'm never going to be debt free, why would I care about finances? Mm -hmm. Why would I make extra payments? Why would I start saving? Why would I, you know, listen, you know, listen to a podcast like this, invest in learning. Why would I do that if there's no point? Because I'm never going to be debt free Mm -hmm. with this new belief, though, that I am going to be debt free. What action do we take from that? If you know for certain you believe that you are going to be debt free, you're going to start looking into learning about finances. You're going to start caring about how much you're spending on things and and am I overspending? Am I spending in alignment? And so that's the biggest thing is um, you know, really understanding what you're believing and then also what actions are coming from that belief. And so as soon as we can update them and, and be aware of them then that's when the, you know, the new belief really starts to take root. Yeah, so true. I think that actually applies to so many things too. Like take that and apply it to anything in your life. Like when you were saying that, I was like, wow, that applies to other things in my life. Like when I start to believe something like this is just never going to happen. And it's usually and just what you said about being eight years old, right? And you kind of draw Mm -hmm. from your past experiences, things that your parents may have done or things that you, you know, that your friends said or just different, different aspects of your upbringing and your experience and your past are really what shape how you view the future in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And when you've had a hard experience or a broken experience in the past, so easily it can be like, well, this is just how it is. Right. And we kind of apply that to the future. So that's like convicting me even in other areas of life as I think about that in context of life. But when you say it in terms of money, too, it's like, wow, how true is that? How true of us? How true is it that so many of us may have grown up with, you know, um, in one background or another that made us feel like either icky about money or like it was wrong to spend money or to have Mm -hmm. money or whatever it might be or like it was, um, you know, whatever the the mindset might be rather than looking at, at looking at it as a tool. And I know you and I have had these conversations about um, how it's really a vehicle. And just like if you think of a car as a vehicle, it can be used to take you from point A to point B and accomplish a purpose and do something good, or it can be used to cause harm. And so I think sometimes we see how money has been manipulated or misused to cause harm, and we get afraid of it, or we feel uh, like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be greedy, or oh my gosh, I don't want to ever, you know, be like that or have it ruin me. And I think a lot of the times it can ruin us because we don't have the right heart posture and mindset toward the whole thing to begin with. So we don't even know how to operate the vehicle. And so we're driving it like crazy person. Um, Exactly. So that's why that's so important. And I wanted to start off with that foundationally. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, a luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. <laughs> Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. 
Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Now, moving from there, what would you say are the top personal finance mistakes that people make in the short term that can hurt them in the long term? And what can we do differently, even starting today, to start improving that? Oh, so good. Okay, so the top two that come to mind, the first one is not understanding your credit score. And it sounds so simple, but I there, I see so often in this industry and so many financial gurus will push that it doesn't matter and in my opinion, it's a naive point of view because like, am I a fan of how our system has created credit scores? No, I'm not a fan of it. Do I believe that a credit score is going to show you how well off you are? No, absolutely not. It is Mm -hmm. not that indicator. You can have a great credit score and horrible finances Mm -hmm. and you can have a horrible credit score and great finances, right? So a credit score is a game, right? Mm -hmm. It's a game. However, the game can cost you so much money if you're not playing it correctly. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, the people who really get the short end of the stick are the ones who just don't understand it. They're the ones who never learn about a credit score in school, or they, they think that they can't look it up because it will somehow hurt them or hurt their credit score. And so one of the easiest ways to fix this is again, literacy, like financial literacy, education, So my big recommendation is to get a credit card account. It's free online. Anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't impact your score. If you go in and look at it, that's also a huge misconception that I hear all the time is that, well, if I look it up, it's going to lower my score. And that's not true. Um, But being able to go in and start learning about that can improve one. You can learn how to improve your score, but it can also change the game for you because if you start caring about that in your 20s and then decide to buy a home let's say in in your 30s that 10-year difference or five-year difference or however long of you starting to take care of that credit score and increase it can save you hundreds of thousands of dollars for let's say if you want to get a mortgage Mm -hmm. over the course of your you know that loan that can save you hundreds of thousands of dollars so that's that's a huge one of short-term mistakes that can really hurt you in the long run long run the second one is that came to my mind when you said that is not knowing how to advocate for yourself with finances it's really hard to advocate for yourself when you're not confident in what you can ask for what you should say and so the best way to do this is to practice what questions can i ask or just practice asking questions in general so a good example of this is a hospital bill. Um, so our, you know, <laughs> our healthcare system is, in general is very flawed, but especially in hospital billing, there, you know, it's a flawed system. Things slip through the cracks, and so often they will bill you incorrectly because they will bill you based on the standard of care. So let's say you went in for a procedure and you left, but you didn't ever use a wheelchair. However, a lot of people do. They might bill you for renting the wheelchair. 
just mm-hmm. on your on your bill that you never look at because we just assume, well, the hospital billed me, I owe this. And so calling and asking, hey, can I see an itemized receipt or can you walk me through what each of these are to make sure that you're paying for the right things? Um, you know, big one. Um, you can also negotiate hospital bills, which, you know, people don't really know that they can do that. Um, same thing with banking. If you have a very high credit card interest rate or maybe you get hit with an overdraft fee at your bank, call them and ask for a lower interest rate. Call them and ask for the overdraft fee to be removed. I mean, the overdraft fees alone in the United States, this is wild. In the United States alone, banks make $11.68 billion with a B, billion dollars in overdraft fees every year. What? Yes, and that was as of 2019. So I can't even imagine what it's going to be after COVID of this year. It's it's a it's a twelve billion dollar thing wow. that they're doing. And and the sad thing is, who do overdraft fees hurt the most? The people who don't have money in their accounts, right? right? Which it which keeps them in the cycle. And so, um, you know, calling the bank and advocating for yourself and saying, what can I do to get this refunded? You know, this was a mistake. Can you, you know, can we please get this taken care of? Mm-hmm. Um, t- nine times out of 10, you'll get that refund. And so things like that, where in the short term, you're, you're not thinking about what are ways that I can get ahead with money? What are ways that I can advocate for myself? And year after year after year, that's going to, you know, stack up and, and cause financial harm for you in the long run. Yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. Those are like little things that we often, like you said, we don't really think about. We just mm-hmm. take it as as gospel, whatever we see, like, oh, again, that's just how it is. Or that's just, I must owe that then. And without really thinking, how can I be proactive? You know, it's so funny. I had a friend here a couple weeks ago and she told me um, that she found herself kind of in a tough situation. She had had some some medical work done and was hit with a bill that she wasn't expecting. And some of it, I think, was incorrect. And so she's she's like the sweetest person. This is what cracked me up is I like never knew this fierce little side of her. She's like, you know what I did? I called them and I told them, I'm not paying this. This is incorrect. And I was like, good for you, girlfriend. But it was just too funny. Matt and I were laughing so hard. And I think we do need to be, I think sometimes we can almost shrink back when we just assume like, well, they must be right. They must know what they're doing Mm -hmm. when that's not always the case. And maybe it is. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to be like, nope, actually, this is what you owe. Okay. But the best thing that could happen. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't hurt you at all. And so often we're so scared to have that conversation with authority for me. And again, this is a belief I grew up with is that you do not question authority, right? Mm -hmm. If a teacher says something, if a parent says something, if the bank says something, you just, that's it, period. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was a big unlearning of it's okay to question things. It's okay mm-hmm. to advocate for yourself and ask those things. It, it, you're, you know, you're not going at them or, or disrespecting them by having that conversation. And it's so important to your financial health. Yeah, so true. So true. Okay, so one of the biggest challenges, like now that we talk about a couple of these these things that we are either unaware of or little mistakes that we don't even realize we could be making by not advocating for our health, or not for our health, our financial health, um, which I guess is a way of, of health. Um, yeah. One of the biggest challenges people faith in, face in wealth building specifically is usually overspending and a dislike of budgets. It feels restrictive. It's overwhelming. It can feel tight or hard to stick to. What tips do you have to stop the cycle of overspending and what can we do to shift our mindset away from the thought that saving or budgeting means that I have to sacrifice the things that I love? Oh, okay, great question. And and for so long, this question resonates with me so much because this was me in college. I was like, I'm not going to budget. I'm not going to stop spending. I'm not going to, you know, look at saving money because then I can't do the things that I like. And it mm-hmm. kept me from doing this yeah. because I didn't know it was possible to care about finances and budget and save and also buy the things. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. And so um, the, the three big things, the kind of three steps in this process to not overspend or to spend in alignment. The first one is, the first one is to stop restricting yourself. When you tell yourself, I can't have this, I can't go shopping, um, you're increasing the likelihood of you quitting basically that financial diet, right? It's like fad mm-hmm. diets of I can't eat this food. I can't have this. And so um, when you stop restricting yourself, it allows you to be in a state of, you know, abundance instead of the state of I can't have this, I can't do this. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. The second thing is 
create a realistic plan for your spending, right? This goes right along with number one, leave room in for your priorities. Maybe getting your hair done is a priority for you. Maybe getting that Starbucks is a priority for you. But whatever it is, make sure there's room in the budget for that because what I see happen nine times out of 10, if somebody tells me that they budget and it does not work every single, almost every single time I'm like, okay, show me what's going on. Show me what Mm -hmm. you are planning for spending. And they will say $1 for eating out and $0 for shopping. And I'm like, this is do you really not eat out ever or you right. don't shop? And they're like, realistic? Well, yeah. Yeah. They're like, well, I do. I'm like, then why are you not planning for it? Yeah. For some reason, somebody made us think that a budget was only for the basics and you can't do anything else. Right. And that's not true. Right. Right. A budget is simply being like, here's where I want my money to go this month. And if you want your money to go to Starbucks, because that makes you happy and you prioritize that, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But then at the end of the month, what I want you to do is look over your spending and say, am I proud of where my money went or do I want to tweak anything? Mm -hmm. Instead of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I spent that much. Instead say, okay, I spent, let's say $300 shopping and that just feels like a lot for me. And I would rather be putting $100 of that into savings. So next month, cool, I'm going to put 100 more into savings and I'm still going to leave $200. And so then at the end of that month, you say, cool, did that feel really good to me? Or maybe I want to put another $100 into savings and use $100 shopping. Maybe I want to give myself the extra dollars for shopping because holidays are coming up, whatever. And so it's constantly tweaking those things, but making sure more than anything that you're proud of where your money's going, because mm-hmm. that is when that that's the guilt and the shame that will continue to pop up of, I spent this, I shouldn't have spent this. Now I feel guilty for it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in a bad spot. Well, now I'm in a bad spot. So you know what, whatever, I don't even care. I might as well spend more. Mm-hmm. And then it's a cycle of, of staying stuck. So those are the top two. And then the third one is to do the inner work. So often when we overspend, we're going to target after a bad day at work. So we feel good instead of, you know, maybe going, going to therapy or talking with a friend or, you know, having that conversation with your partner or whatever that may be. And often in our society, there's this narrative of if you're not happy, then you're broken, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not happy, something's wrong and you have to fix it. And so if we're ever in a state of sadness or in a state of frustration, we feel like, oh my gosh, I have to fix this. The easiest way to do this is to go to Target and shop and then Mm -hmm. I'll feel happier. Mm -hmm. And what we have to realize, I think it's a twofold thing. The first one is it's okay. Like if you're not happy, that's an okay emotion. You're allowed Mm. to be other emotions and happy and that you don't need fixed. Mm. And then on the other side of that, if you are, you know, feeling low or feeling upset or going through some stuff, what are ways that you can um, support that instead of trying to mask it with that overspending? Mm -hmm. That's good. I love that you said that too, because you're right. We so often are just told, oh, you're not okay. Like, let's figure out how to make that better. Let's fix it. Like Mm -hmm. we, I think as a general society, don't do a very good job of sitting with the discomfort of emotions that we don't know how to handle. Like, a sadness that can't just be solved or a a hard challenge that doesn't just go away that can bring up feelings of despair or discontentment or fear or whatever we have to work through. And it's like, that's a very human experience. Why are we Mm -hmm. so quick to say like, oh, but let me go get something to make it better or to make myself. And like, I think every now and then we can give ourselves some grace, but I think so often that's kind of a quick fix. And I love that you brought that up because it really is something that we don't even really dive into enough of why. Like, why am I getting this? Is it because I genuinely need or have been waiting to get it? It's something that I, you know, need for an event or, you know, it's a new pair of jeans because I I tore my old ones or because, you know, I've outgrown the ones that I wore or I've, you know, my body has changed or whatever. Like, that's one thing. But I think if we can identify, I mean, I think this relates to everything, but especially financially, the why behind what we're doing. One time I'll share this conversation. One time we were having a financial planning meeting from a business and personal side or standpoint. And one of the questions that came up, we were talking with our financial planners and um, 
we set a goal, right? It was just like, okay, what's the goal? And I remember setting a goal and Matt looked at me and he asked me, well, why? Like, why is that the goal? And so I think just asking the question why, and I was able to kind of then break down like, well, because of X, Y, and Z, we need to accomplish this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to our spending, we can think the same way of why am I buying this? Or why am I thinking about buying it? What's the like motivator behind it? And if it's not something we can identify then I think that's a good sign to say maybe I should rethink this a little bit you know so I'm, yeah. I love that you exactly. brought that up yeah we're, we're taught to spend and we're taught to be always chasing money mm-hmm. and so often what we don't realize is that we're not chasing money we're chasing the freedom that money gives us right we're chasing the the idea of when I have that I can be comfortable I can thrive instead of just survive I can give I can do all this stuff mm-hmm. we're, you know the vehicle right that we're talking right. about and so so often I, I see this a lot and um you know with business too of I'll have clients who say oh here's my revenue goal and I'll say awesome why do you want to hit that and they're like well because it sounds more good money <laughs> right yeah it's right. like it's more money that I'm making and I'm like okay why do you want that they're like, I, I don't know. I just, because I'm taught, we're taught, you need more, you need more, you need more. And and we stop, we need to stop and ask ourselves, why do we want that? Mm-hmm. What is, what is the gain for us to be able to do that? And if we can, like you said, if we can answer that, awesome, cool, mm-hmm. but it has to be meaningful, yeah. right? It has to be meaningful or else we're, you know, we're just chasing money, literally. Yeah. Exactly. So good. Okay. So let's talk about accountability a little bit. I would love to kind of pivot into that, especially as we're talking about the conversation around overspending and making really conscious decisions. Accountability, I think is really key when it comes to financial health, just like with what you shared of having someone to just ask you, why is that your goal? Or why are you choosing to invest or spend this? Um, Especially when it comes to maintaining our financial health. And so what would you say are some ways that we can keep ourselves accountable for our money habits? I mean, I think asking ourselves why, but do you ever recommend recommend, you know, having other accountability partners or taking some other more proactive steps outside of just what we're doing in our own brain to really establish some healthy money habits? Oh my gosh, totally. So the the big thing that I teach my clients is called the future me formula. Yes, I made this up myself. <laughs> so the future me formula, I just, so I said this in a podcast once and I got a response. I was like, I tried looking it up and I can't, I'm like, I made it up. You can't look it up. I, I made this up. That's so great. the future me formula, most people, they get their paycheck and then they spend, they shop, they pay rent, they pay their mortgage, whatever. And then whatever's left over they save or whatever's left over, they pay off debt, whatever's Mm -hmm. left at the end of the month. That's what they do. Their top priorities, you know, they spend for their top priority. Instead, what we need to flip this script and instead use the future me formula, we take the paycheck, right? We get the paycheck. Mm -hmm. And then the first thing we do the day we get that paycheck or day after whatever, we take the paycheck money and we subtract what our goal is. We subtract what we want to put into savings. We subtract what we want to put towards debt and we do that day one. And then with what's left, we save, or I mean, sorry, we spend and we pay rent and we live. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is that it doesn't leave room for, oh, I have to use my willpower to hit my goals. I have to stay super accountable because, you know, we're not perfect. We're going to have that, you know, that that moment where we're just weak and we're like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to go spend this. I'm going to do this out of alignment. Mm -hmm. And so it allows us to be accountable to our goals to where day one of the month, we've already hit that savings goal. It's already in our savings. Mm -hmm. And we have that rest of the month to be able to do the other things that we care about. So that's the biggest way to stay accountable is then you're never having to, you know, use that willpower. But other than that, I'm huge on having, accountability partners, either with your partner, with your friends, and also just setting up your goals and displaying them. So you see them on a regular basis of here's where I'm at in my savings goal. Here's what I'm working towards. Here's when I'm going to hit the next goal and really being able to stay on that vision and, and stay locked into your goals. Love it. So good. Love it so much. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit more because I think what you just mentioned and talking about accountability and all of this really goes into this next question I wanted to ask you, which is I think a lot of times we like to seek advice 
from friends and family, especially around this topic. Um, either we compare, like even going back to the conversation of I want to hit this revenue goal or I want to buy this thing. A lot of times it's because it's based off of what we're seeing other people doing, um, friends, peers, whatever. And we don't really necessarily know their financial picture. Um, but I think, you know, in any topic in life, we tend to turn to those that we trust in our life, which I think can be a great practice to a degree. But if those people have very different money priorities than, than us, I think it can sometimes do more harm than good. I'm sure you'd probably agree. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so what do we need to do to make sure that we're getting advice from the right people? Who, what would you say about that? And who should we be getting advice from first and foremost? Awesome. So the biggest thing is, I love saying this, stop taking financial advice from broke people, right? Everybody yes. loves giving their opinion. <laughs> Everybody loves giving their opinion. But so often, um, the biggest thing is that if you would not blindly on a moment's notice switch bank accounts with them, do not take advice from them. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, well, I don't technically know what's in their bank account. Mm -hmm. If you would not confidently say, heck yes, switch bank accounts, then don't take money advice from them, right? Um, This is so good. I I once had a really wise mentor tell me that when they choose financial planners or when they've chosen to work with, you know, investment or wealth managers Mm -hmm. or anything, they have straight up asked them, have you, are you a millionaire? (laughs) And if the answer is no, they're like, well, then you can't help me get to where I want to go. And I just think that's such a good mindset and like way to think about it. It's like, don't take advice from someone who's not where you would want to be, period. Exactly, exactly. And especially, I mean, I'm I'm very big on having all the money experts in your life because mon- the the when you hire a money expert, and I'm talking like from a money coach to an accountant to a financial advisor to, you know, there's so many different kinds, they will pay for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They will yes. pay for themselves. <laughs> yes. People are like, I don't know if I should hire someone. I'm like, they will pay for themselves. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, that, like, what? who else are you hiring that, I mean, of course, there's like business coaches and things like that, but mm-hmm. who else are you hiring in your life? Like when you go get your hair done, does that pay for itself, right? right. So think of that, think of it like that. Unless but you're like selling your thing, hair. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? Who am I? You can make money anyway. Right. I mean, want, if, so but then you, that's only a one-time payout. You cut 12 inches off and then you got to wait like two years again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the biggest thing also, once you find that whoever, that money expert, you also have to make sure you're hiring someone with your best interests in mind. The wild thing the wild thing is that as yes, our, the financial industry is regulated. However, some of those laws like explicitly say that it is not mandatory for them to have your best interests in mind. So mm-hmm. for example, for a financial advisor, um, if there's a stock or, you know, some sort of investment that will make them a bigger return since they are managing your accounts than you in the long run and there's better options, they can pick the one that is better for them, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why it's so important to be working with someone who you trust and working with someone who is your partner in crime and and not necessarily someone who says, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll do it, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. You should be working with someone who's like, here's what we're doing. Here's what my thoughts are. Of course, this is your account. So you get to make the decisions. What do you think about this? Mm -hmm. And so really making sure that you're asking those questions and being transparent of, you know, why should I, why should I work with you? What are, Mm -hmm. show me some clients that show me the results that you've gotten other clients. What is the, you know, return that you've gotten for other people and and being really diligent because this is something where you do not want to settle all when you're hiring that financial expert yeah so true that's so true because i think we like you said can it goes back to the conversation about the hospital bill or the chase thing where we just can so easily not even advocate for ourselves and assume like well they have the letters by their name or they have you know they seem to have more experience but have we you know are they really a partner not only do they have you know the experience that we would want to trade places with them or be you know trust that they would speak into our lives but then also is it a trustworthy partner is it someone who's gonna speak into what's best for our financial picture not necessarily only theirs because they could stand to gain from it so I love that you Mm -hmm. pointed that out that's that takes some how do you you know this is a question I've actually been asked before by a lot of different women whenever I talk about this subject um how do you find somebody trustworthy like that do you have a recommendation of where to best start I mean I personally we found our financial planners through actually asking my parents because we look 
to my parents mm-hmm. as examples when it comes to building this in this area of life. Um, and so we use their recommendation, but I know not everyone has that, you know, uh, resource mm-hmm. available to them. So I'd love to hear what your recommendation would be if someone feels like they're completely starting from scratch and going, A, how do I find a financial planner or ad- advisor or anything? And B, how do I know if they're trustworthy? Amazing. So a couple things. The biggest thing that I would do is interview them like you were hiring someone on your team. Um, get mm. recommendations. So I would find someone in your sphere of influence or on social media who you look up to who financially from a financial perspective and ask them, right? Mm. Say, hey, do you mind sharing who you, you use for a financial advisor? I share who I use all the time. Um, another great way to do it is to look up you know, someone in, you know, you're maybe you want to do work with someone in your city or in your town, look up a couple people and say, Hey, um, you know, would you have 10 minutes to hop on the phone for me to ask them questions and call five different people and talk to them and ask them questions about, can you explain this to me? Can you explain this to me? And you don't want to work with people who say, Oh, you don't need to worry about that. I'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. No, you still need to know you get to be you know, you're the, you're the CEO of your finances. And even though you have that team, right, your financial advisor, who's doing a lot of the day-to-day work, you are still overseeing that. Yeah. And ultimately you're the one that's going to either, you know, win the lottery basically, or mm-hmm. pay the price of not having someone who, who is on in your best interest, working in your best interest. So I would for sure ask people like that, even if, you know, your parents don't have that person, go out and ask, go out and ask people who, um, that you trust who theirs is and also interview, interview people mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So good. Okay. I love the way of thinking of it. Almost like you're going through an interview process, especially if it's someone that hasn't come to you by recommendation or by mm-hmm. people that you trust and you're like, well, they've done it how we would want to. So who are they using? Right? Like if you don't have that, yeah. especially if you don't have that, look at it as an interview process. Find three. I mean, I did this when I was searching for an OB. I don't know if this is kind of random, but my friend who's a midwife, I was telling her she lives somewhere, you know, a little bit far away. So I wasn't able to work with her. But when I was first searching for an OBGYN I wanted to work with, she, you know, I just kind of assumed that. I would just have to pick the first one I had an appointment with. And she said, you know, more people put uh, more research and time into making a decision about buying a car than they do the person who's going to be their doctor and potentially deliver yeah. their babies. And I was like, whoa, right? And so it's like, <laughs> that's true. And so she's like, you have the authority and you should interview and and seek like speak to multiple and go and have consultation appointments and see who you like, see what their, what their, um, practices like see their viewpoints mm-hmm. what standards do they practice there's a couple different you know um I don't know what it's called there's a couple different like uh perspectives on certain things and she's like ask these questions and so I went through kind of a little bit of an interview process just trying to find what felt like the right fit for me and um I think we should do that financially just as much right and exactly. unfortunately we put we we understand we should put research into decisions like buying a house or buying a car which are financial decisions as is working mm-hmm. with a doctor but I think when it comes to who's going to be managing all that or helping us manage all that we're like eh, well let's see my friend who reached out from college and like is doing yeah. this now like or the first person I hear about you know it's like let's put some effort into this and make a wise decision so I love that approach and it makes some more it makes it for some work like it does and I want to be real about that like this you may not find you know your soulmate in the financial space overnight but I think it's worth making a wise decision about and take the time to do your research and interview so thank you for sharing that okay so let's talk about long term a little bit when it comes to saving for the long term there are a lot of options right we know we and we've heard a lot of these especially if you're listening and you're kind of new to the financial literacy thing you might be familiar with the word stocks or um, with money market accounts or general savings or real estate and all these different terms that can come up but um, there's a lot of things to think about everything from paying off debt to retirements to kids funds to home mortgages and everything else and it can really begin to feel overwhelming. So I would love, Chloe, if you can share, how can someone figure out where to start and what saving strategy is really best for her? Awesome. So the biggest thing is to create a priority list. Most times when there's so many options and so many things to do, it's it's overwhelming, right? Like you said, it's so, and it can, it can make you so frazzled to where you don't take action into anything. Mm-hmm. Um, or what I see a lot is, 
especially millennials, they will take, here's $20 and I'll put it towards saving for a house. And here's $50 and I'll put it towards student loans. Here's $10, I'll put it into a random savings account. Here's $5, I'll put towards this. And their money is so spread out that they're not making a dent into anything. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to be trying to get all 15 of these goals for the next 10 years instead of prioritizing it from top priority to last priority and then going through and saying okay i'm still gonna make my minimum payments and pay the things i need to in the meantime but any leftover money is going to go to this one goal until it's done and then mm -hmm. i'm gonna move on to the next one and so um th that's huge and also remembering that um and this is great i'm so glad you brought up kids college funds and things like that because so often there are, uh, you know, there's when you are right out of college, and this is why I love working with women in their 20s and 30s, before you want to get to the point where you have the house and you have the kids and you have mm -hmm. all those things, your expenses are going to continue to increase, right? And so mm -hmm. this time, that time from when you are whatever, 18 until you decide to start your family and grow your family and do buy the house and do all the things that time is the best time to start doing these kind of smaller things of like paying off debt or, you know, maybe working on your student loan. So when you get to that point, when you are ready for the house, then making those mortgage payments is easy. Or when you're ready for that family, saving for kids college is, you know, it is easy because you don't have those other things. And so mm -hmm. many people think I'll just wait until later to do all that stuff. But mm -hmm. in reality, by you starting now with that top priority, you're working towards those other things from day one, which is incredible. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Love that. Um, now, here's another question kind of related to that. How do we know or how can someone who's kind of starting to think this way and is eating all this up and like, yes, 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 I need to do this. How can she know how much to be saving and what is a realistic goal to be saving and sp or for spending and saving? And I know that probably very much varies by financial picture, mm -hmm. but is there a rule of thumb that you would recommend that someone be thinking about? Yeah. So this is a hard one because in the past I've given, you know, like be saving a minimum of 20%, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've given that number, but you know, think of two separate women, right? They're both 25. One of them is single. She makes six figures and lives in the Midwest and she's no debt. She could easily be saving heck, like 50 to 60% of her income mm -hmm. potentially mm -hmm. to be putting away because she has such little expenses and high income. Mm -hmm. If, a, you know, another woman, 25, married, her and her partner make six figures combined, they live in San Diego and they have five kids, that's a very different scenario, right? right? Same age, same total income. However, with totally different expenses, you know, likely they're not going to be able to save that 50 to 60% right now. Maybe they did prior or they will in the future, but in that exact scenario, maybe they're not. So mm -hmm. the biggest thing that I would recommend instead of saying, oh, I need to be saving 20% or I need to be saving 40% or 10% or whatever is getting to a place where you're clear on what percent you're at now right? Figure that out because most people don't know. If I said, what percent do you save in September, right? People are like, I have no idea. So figure out what you're saving, what percentage you're saving per month. And then ask yourself, can I raise that? Can I increase that? Um, and also, what do I want to be putting that money towards? Let's say you're saving 10% per month and putting it into a savings account, but you have credit card debt that's growing at 25%. Maybe it's not necessarily that you want to be saving that as long as you have an emergency fund, maybe we want to take that and start putting that towards that credit card debt. So mm -hmm. also I think that this kind of, Oh, just save to save mentality. I would rather you be very clear on, I have an emergency fund. Now I'm tackling credit card debt. Now I'm doing this instead of being in this space of, I just am always saving money, but not putting it towards those other goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So good. Okay. And it's true. I think we can compare. That's why, I mean, like all of this kind of relates back to each other because we can so easily look at what our friend in San Diego is doing, right? And it's like, well, look what they're yes. buying or look what the house they got. And it's like, yeah, but look at where you're at or what your long-term goals are that could be completely different from theirs. And so it's like, mm -hmm. that's why it's so key not to, to try not to look to the left and right. And I know we can do that in everything, in our careers, in our businesses, in our families, in our money and all the things. And it's like, get super clear. This is a big discipline that has really changed the game for us of 
where are we going? And we had to have a couple conversations. And this is one last kind of part of the conversation that I wanted to touch on. Matt and I have had to have over the first few years of our marriage, we've been married about four years now. And in the first few years, we, you know, kind of went through that process of just like making stuff work. And then we kind of got to a place where like, okay, income is starting to increase. Things are stabilizing. We're, we're getting to a good place. Where are we going and why? And we almost had to have, we call them dream together dates where we sit down and we're like, what do we want our dream? Like our dream, like what is our dream for this year? Like in the short term, what do we want that to look like? How many times do we want to be able to go visit your family? Flexibility wise, you know, time wise, financially. And so I I know that sometimes though, when you're kind of trying to figure these things out, it can be really easy to to look to the left and right and see like, well, this is how our friends are doing it, or this is how our other friends are doing it. And it just can be really clouded. And so it really changed the game for us when we sat down and we looked at our picture and our goals and our current desires and things that we actually want for our lives. And what's interesting is there was, there was a part of a conversation that even came back to like, you know what, let's do less. Like we're good. And let's maybe even do less in some seasons because yes. I think there's always that pressure of like, you've got, in order to build wealth, you have to make more and do more and, and, and whatnot. And I'm like, actually, we've found ways to build wealth without having to drastically increase our income in certain seasons because we didn't want to. We went through hardship. Mm-hmm. We went through loss. Our priority is building our family and things have changed from two years ago when our priority was like, let's build businesses. Yeah. You know, we're totally still building businesses, but it's just not like to the same energy level that it was before. And so you have to have these check-ins and really get clear on what is right for you and your household and your family and your relationship, especially, or you as a person and an individual. And so I think just staying focused is really the a fundamental discipline here that I just kind of want to drive home because it's come through in a lot of what you're sharing. Um, but as I was thinking about that, it brought up one other question that I think is worth diving into a little bit, and that is relationships and money, <laughs> these two things together. You put things to, those, those two things together, and I think it can get stressful, especially when you are on different pages or you're not sure what you want as a team. Um, so I would love for you to just share from your experience and all that you've seen, what is the biggest pain point that you see between couples when it comes to money? And what are some habits that couples can do together to stay on the same page and be thinking about long-term financial goals? I mean, I would personally suggest dream together dates, but I would love your input on it. <laughs> yes. That is that, the first thing that I, I would say is stop nagging your partner and start dreaming together. That oh, is that's good. That's got to be on a t-shirt. Tweet it, put it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because so often, right? I feel like naturally there's usually one person that tends to be the one who's more into the whole finance thing and then one that tends to be more so not into it, right? The Mm -hmm. spender, the saver, however you want to look at it. And so a lot of times there's one person and I get this a lot with my clients who they'll say, oh, like I'm trying to do this and my, you know, my husband is spending and he needs to stop and he told me this and it's the constant nagging. And a lot of times I'll ask one of the, we, you know, we survey clients when they come in and then when they leave. And so one of the incoming questions is, how um, good would you rate financial conversations, right? A financial conversation, Mm. is that a good thing in your relationship or a bad thing? Mm. And most people say it's a bad thing. And when you, when every conversation you have around money is negative, that's not healthy, right? That's not what money is supposed to be. Money, you can have great money conversations. And there's a huge difference between nagging someone of why are you doing this? Why aren't you listening? Versus sitting down and being like, Hey, let's recenter. Like you were saying, what are our goals Mm -hmm. and how are we going to reach that together as a team? What do we need to be doing? What do we need to be planning for? And so that's huge. Stop nagging your partner, sit down as two partners and, and have that conversation instead of constantly nagging and dream. Like what are your big money dreams? What is Mm -hmm. the freedom? What, when do you want to retire? When do you want to buy a home? Do you want to travel? really dream together and Mm. and make money conversations fun. Mm. So that's for sure. Number one. The second thing is that money problems have nothing to do with money. They have to do with communication around money. Mm. They are rarely actually the dollar amount. It is, why did you spend this? Or why did you do this? Or I thought you were handling this or whatever. And it's a communication. And so the more that you can communicate about money and be on the same page, the less you're going to fight about money. Um, And then the third thing that I would say as a pain point is the guilt and shame that I see a lot of couples bringing into a relationship or bringing into a marriage. If one of them has debt 
or one of them is bad with finances and, and they're bringing that into a relationship or into a marriage and they're holding a lot of guilt and shame of, of that. And so the biggest thing that I remind couples if they're feeling that is that both couples bring in baggage to a relationship or to a marriage. It's okay if yours has a dollar sign, right? They're mm. bringing into, they're bringing in baggage. They're bringing in their own stuff. And it's okay that yours has a, a dollar sign. When you're, at least this is my belief, right? When you're going into marriage, you're you're accepting everything. You're committing mm. to everything. It's not like, I accept all of you except for your debt. Like, mm. leave that at the door, right? It's everything. And so that's huge is having those conversations and being very real of, hey, I'm feeling this guilt and shame for doing this. And I, I just want you to know how I'm feeling. I'm feeling bad about this. I'm doing this and and hear from your partner, you know, listen when, when they tell you that they're on the same page as you or that you can tackle this together or coming up with a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's huge. And some of the easy habits that we can, you know, start doing to be thinking about long-term financial goals together. The biggest thing you t- already talked about this, a money date or like a dream date or like, that's amazing. We have, I mean, it's in my Google calendar when my fiance Shay and I sit down and talk about money, it's in our calendar, right? Mm-hmm. We sit down, it's fun. We'll like drink wine and we'll be like, okay, here's our priority. Here's our route with this. This is what we're doing. And it's fun. We mm-hmm. love it. It's our favorite part of Sundays. However, now with football back, it is definitely, it's like sometimes at 2 p.m., sometimes at 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. Because we have to, we have to schedule it around. Plan around the priorities, so, obviously. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then a couple other things. Talk about finances early on in your relationship. Um, a lot of times couples want to wait and they, they, they're, they've been dating for years and their partner doesn't know that they've been racking up credit card debt this whole time. And mm-hmm. so they're feeling this guilt and the shame. And so the earlier on you can talk about finances, the better. Um, having money dates, of course, is great. Having a conjoined priority list, like you were talking about earlier, of what are our big things we want to do together. And then the last thing is make it fun. Like Shay and mm-hmm. I, when we first started dating, we were both paying off debt and we would have, we'd have our goal of like, I have to pay off this amount. He has to pay off this amount. And whoever didn't hit that goal had to buy the other person dinner. Hmm. So then we'd go on a date and I'd be like, ha like you have to pay, you didn't make your goal. Mm-hmm. And we made it a fun competition that really pushed ourselves and, and held each other accountable. So, mm-hmm. you know, make it fun. Make it yeah. Fun. Yeah. I love that. Make the money conversations fun. Cause usually they can become stressful conversations and, usually because it's in the context of like, oh my gosh, wait, why'd you spend this? And then it turns into an arguing match when it can instead can be, hey, let's sit down. Let's look at everything. Let's make this a fun experience. Let's make little competitions or challenge each other. I mean, think about other ways that you challenge your relation, your, your partner in your mm-hmm. relationship. Like, is that, you know, when you guys play horse out on the basketball court or is it you know Mm -hmm. what is that other ways that you have these fun little competitions is it who can fold the laundry the fastest or and if you aren't doing those things try doing them because I think Mm -hmm. it can really make the more stressful things in life like keeping a home or building financial picture or financial health and doing these other things that can feel very adult um, that are very adult and that can feel overwhelming because they feel so serious it's like yeah, there's like it's something to take seriously and you are taking it seriously by checking in on it regularly. But if you can do that check in with some fun and some, um, you know, a little bit of pizzazz without it feeling like this dry, stale, stressful thing that makes you feel like you're 98 years old, like that's where it's going to get fun again. And that's where you're going to be able to dream again and look at your future with hope and with with joy and with vision together rather than with, oh, my gosh, I'm scared of the future or what's the future going to hold? There's a lot that's unknown. Anything could change at any point, but make it fun. And I love that you gave that advice because that is totally the approach we love to take as much as possible. So I appreciate that. that. (laughs) Um, Okay, last question. This is something I want to have an episode that we'll dive a lot deeper into in the future. Um, But I do want to just kind of get like your first, like the first steps, because for a lot of our listeners, a lot are looking to start a small business or have recently just started a small business. So, you know, we talked about general financial wealth or health and well-being. We talked about touching on, you know, money and relationships. And I just want to briefly skim the surface of this. For those who are in that beginning stage, we have a lot of women finding themselves saying, I want to start an Etsy store, or I want to start coaching, or I want 
to do something with this talent or skill that I have, or I just recently have, but I'm feeling really stuck and not really going anywhere. For those who are looking to start their business, especially using some personal funds, if for the average person, most of us don't have angel investors Mm -hmm. and all these other things that can um, just write us a big check. And so with that, what would you, what would be your top points of advice on how to do that wisely and safely? Oh, so good. Okay. So a couple things, most people, I hear this, this is probably the biggest thing that I hear from young, like early on entrepreneurs in their business. They will tell me, I will start, you know, figuring out the finance stuff when I make more money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. That's you never wake up Mm -hmm. one day and you're like, the day is here. I now have it figured out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) More money. You will always feel like, well, I just need a little more. Well, that's, you know, maybe that's not enough. I need a little bit more. And so making sure that you from, you know, the, the day you open your business, that you really are doing these behind the scenes things, because again, this is going to save you so much time, so mm. much stress, and so much energy, and also money by doing it the right way. So the first thing is registering your business early on. And for most people, I will hear them say things like, but I don't want to register it because I want to wait until I'm making money. I was and just going to say, because it also costs a little bit of money to do that, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, it, and it really depends on where you live. In the Midwest, you can register your business for like $40. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in California, it's more like 800 right? Oh so um, there's definitely, I know, definitely a value Everybody leave difference. California. <laughs> yeah, if you just want to move back to the Midwest from California. Um, so yes, it's an investment. However, let's say you register your business, you're in a corporate job, but you want to start this kind of side hustle in the beginning. You want to start this business to down the road, go full time. If you start that business, that means you can start claiming the loss. You can start claiming, mm-hmm. oh, I, I'm starting uh, you know, an Etsy shop and I need to buy um, string and I need to buy paint and I need to buy shipping labels, all that stuff. That's a tax write-off. Mm-hmm. So if you start that business and you're spending this money, that will that can help you from make have to pay less taxes in your corporate job. Right. Mm-hmm. Because now your business is at a loss in the early stages. Right. Um, and then, of course, we want it to not be at a loss right away. But it, in the early stages, when people are like, I don't want to start a business because I'm not making anything, that can actually be a great tax advantage for you to be able to open it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this kind of goes right along with number one of registering your business, but also hire an accountant early. I cannot tell you how important this is, even if you start with a free consultation to say, hey, here are the three big things I have. Could you tell me how much it would cost for you to help me figure this out, Hmm. right? Just ask those questions Um, because so often what the accountant can tell you is gonna save you so much money, especially in taxes. So those are two. Once you have your registered business, open up two business bank accounts, two business bank accounts and make sure they are, you're not paying monthly fees on them. These should be free, just a basic business account. The first one should be your business checking account. And that is where you want to put all the money that's coming in to your business and also where you're spending all of the money for stamps to send things out or maybe for your website or whatever. Okay, we want it all to flow in and out of one thing. That's going to make tax time so easy Mm -hmm. for you to be able to do that. And then the second account is for taxes. The second account is for taxes and making sure that we are from the start of your business, setting aside money for taxes because taxes are one of the top reasons why small businesses fail, not setting aside enough money Mm -hmm. for taxes. And again, similar to we talked about earlier, like credit score, taxes are one of those things that actually don't have to be that scary if you're educated and prepared for them, right? They they don't have to be something that's super scary. So um, definitely having those two bank accounts for the business checking, the business tax, and then also making sure that your personal accounts are completely separate from your business accounts. Don't transfer money from PayPal to your personal, then Mm -hmm. to your business, then back to your personal. It just makes things really, really messy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's huge. And then the last thing that I would say is take care of your finances. If you cannot manage $100 that you earned from your business, you will not be able to manage 1000 It's all about the management and you cannot out earn your mismanagement of money. So Mm -hmm. if you are not handling and being a good steward of a hundred dollars, 
you will not be a good steward of a thousand dollars and so on and so forth. And so making sure that you're taking care of those finances is going to set you up. So when you are successful with a hundred dollars, you're going to be successful with a hundred thousand as your business grows. Mm -hmm. Yep. So good. And so necessary. I love that you said this because I think there's, um, I always love that saying, um, to he who is faithful with little will be entrusted with more. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one thing that we forget. We're like, no, but once it once there's more, I'll be able to manage it. It's like, no, you won't. Mm-hmm. You're going to be the exact same person that you were before. And <laughs> so I think that's a huge discipline and something we need to be reminded of consistently. And um, yeah, I love those tips. I think that's a great starting point and something to be thinking about. Very true on taxes too. And talking with an accountant when you're getting started, because like you said, it's one of those um, kind of gray area. It's an area that so many like people just don't understand. And we're not starting a business because we're trying to understand tax law, right? Like, no, we, but it's one of those headaches that I think can overwhelm us because it's an aspect of it that we can even avoid stepping into the thing we want to do because of mm-hmm. things like that. The cl- the lack of clarity around the money side or the tax side and the pieces that feel not so fun and exciting. It's like, Ugh, I don't want to do this, you know? And so um, anyways, seeking that advice again, I love that you highlighted that with a trusted accountant or someone who's gone before you to really be thinking about that and understand some of those first few steps so you can be a good steward even with if you have mm-hmm. a very small start I think I started my very first small business with like 50 bucks or something I just mm-hmm. got started but it was like I had made some extra money because I had worked a side job and I was like I'm gonna invest this into something that might make me a little more money right and thinking about it like that can just it, it can be helpful so anyways I love that you shared those tips that's really great I want to not I don't want to take too much more of your time I would love if you can just share where can everyone find you if they want to learn more or check out what resources you have available? My gosh, of course. So I, my company is called Deeper Than Money. I don't know if I've said that before, but we're Deeper Than Money on everything. If you search Deeper Than Money on Instagram, we have a Deeper Than Money podcast. And we also have a um, Facebook group where I go live every Wednesday and do free coaching. So if you follow up questions from this podcast and you're like, I need answers, come and search Deeper Than Money on Facebook, join the group. I'm happy to um, answer all of that. And we also have, um, a great, if you're looking for, you know, you're using these tangible tips, but you want more ways to save. We also have a free three day challenge on how to save a thousand dollars in three days that we've had thousands of people go through and love. So that could also be another resource if you're looking to continue on the, um, financial route and really start diving into this stuff. So yes, coming out with me. I love it. (laughs) Chloe, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for giving some really tangible steps and practical, um, viewpoints on these things and, and some tips we can be taking as we are working on building our financial literacy, financial health and well-being as women who are trying to live with purpose. We so appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on Jordan. This was amazing. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.